delighted that you're here. We have a good number present. We appreciate the presence of everyone. We're glad that you made it your decision to be here. We have several who have joined us on Zoom as well, and I appreciate the fact that they've joined us as well. Did you ever wake from a dream that you were having, and for a few seconds when you're still a little foggy and confused as to what's going on, you're not quite awake, you begin to wonder, is this real? And it takes you just a moment to realize, and on some occasions, you're glad it wasn't real, it was a nightmare, or maybe it was something terrible happening to you, and you finally get all awake and you finally realize, you know what, I'm glad that wasn't real. On other occasions, you're disappointed because something was going on, you would like for it to be true, and come to find out it's not real. That moment, that few seconds you're there, you're trying to figure out the reality of all of that. Well, let's go to Acts chapter 12, and we find something similar, though not exactly parallel, in the case of Peter in Acts 12, 1 to 19. What we have here is the story of Peter being imprisoned, and then he was delivered. Look at verse 3. Having killed James, they went and seized Peter, and they put him in prison. Verse 4 and verse 6 tell us that he was guarded and he was secured. In fact, they put him with four squads, a squad is four, four squads of soldiers, so they guarded him with 16 soldiers, quite well secured it seems. This verse 6 says that they secured him between and chained him between two guards. And he fell asleep there in prison. Now beginning at verse 7, an angel came and woke him up, the text says. And notice at verse 7, the angel said to him, as the light began to shine in the prison, he, he struck Peter on the side and he said, Arise quickly, and the chains fell from his hands. And verse 8 then says, The angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And the beginning of verse 9 says, So he went out and he followed him, and he did not know what was yet done. We'll come back to that in a moment. So what was going on was the angel came and, and struck him on the side and told him to wake up, put your sandals on, put your garment on, and come and follow me. He's escaping from prison. Now for Peter, though he didn't realize it at first, this was real. This was really going on. But look at verse 9. Verse 9, at first he didn't seem like it was real to him. For verse 9 says he did not know what the angel had done was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Things are foggy for him for a moment. He doesn't realize this is reality. He thinks perhaps this is a vision like he's seen before on other occasions. To him, it just seems kind of foggy and it's blurred. He really doesn't know for sure what's going on. He doesn't know yet it's real, the text says. Now, I want to suggest to you that if this is not real, then he's really not being released. And if this is not real, it's not literally that he's going to go with the angel. It's merely something he's thinking about. He's only thinking about going with the angel. There is no reality. But on the other hand, if this is real, it is a totally different circumstance. He is really getting out of prison. He's really going with the angels. And he's really going to go and began to preach the gospel again. Look at verse 11. Peter finally realizes this is real. Because at verse 11, after he in verse 10 had gone through the gates and gone past the guards, verse 11 that said, Peter came to himself. He now realizes things as they are. 
And he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all expectation of the Jewish people. Now I know this is real. This is real. This is reality. Thought for a moment this may not be real, but now I know this is real. I use that to introduce the idea that perhaps we have not yet realized for some of us that our religion is real. You see, we can make claims and profession, but they don't always prove to be reality, do they? We can say, this is what I believe, this is where I stand, here is what I will do in the case of pressure. But that may not always prove to be reality. You see, claims in theory are easy. But when put to the test, that may not always be the same. Now, we can easily see that in others better than we can ourselves, as in all cases, that's the case. Let's take our denominational friends, for example. We can see their religion often is not reality. And what I mean by that, let's take some of the religious world that claims to believe in miraculous healing. Perhaps you've had some discussion with them, as I've had some one-on-one -on -one discussion with them at length, that they claim to believe in miracles today. They believe in miraculous divine healing. They think that someone who has the power of the Holy Spirit, which they claim they have, that they can lay hands and heal someone if that person believes. And you ask them, have you seen miracles? Oh, yes, I've seen miracles. Do you really think that someone could be healed? Oh, yes, I've known of people who had maybe, a, 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 they couldn't walk well and they were healed and now they can walk. And they had cancer and they were cured. I've seen that with my eyes. You really believe? Oh, yes, we believe that. But when they get sick and they get hurt and they get really scared, they go running to the hospital. And they don't realize it, but that tells me their religion isn't real. They say they believe it, but they don't believe that. Because why don't they go to their, their preacher who has the power of the Holy Spirit and let him lay his hands on them when you've had a heart attack and you'll get better or when you've been injured and you're bleeding profusely. Let them lay their hands on you and let them heal you. No, you don't really believe that. Your religion is not real. And I want to suggest to you that the same could be true of any one of us. It's possible our religion isn't real. How so we can claim that our religion is real. We can stand and claim that it's important to us. In fact, it is top priority in my life, and I've convinced myself so. And yet, when put under pressure, it may prove that it's not real. So let's talk a little while this morning about this is real. I want to fast forward and get to the conclusion, and then we'll come back how we get to that conclusion. Here's the conclusion. Here's the point I want you to walk away with. That there are circumstances in life where you're going to come face to face with some difficulties, and you're going to have to stop and say, you know what? This religion thing is real. This is real. I've got tough decisions to make. This is real. And that's where we're headed. So let's start with this. Let's start with the question of what makes it real. What makes your religion real? And let's start with this concept. What makes it real is the fact that God whom we serve is real. The God whom we serve is real. That's seen in his creation that indeed he is real. Psalm 19 in verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Look around in creation and you know there is a creator. 
Romans 1 and in verse 24, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So we know by looking at creation that God is real, and we know that God is eternal. What, has, what, what, what do we know about the reality of God? He is eternal. He says, I am you say, why didn't you finish the sentence? That's what his sentence was. I am. I am eternal. I was and am and always will be. It's what he told Moses. I am has sent thee. God is great and he's awesome as Nehemiah declared in Nehemiah chapter 1 and in verse 5. He is the almighty, the all-powerful God as declared in that throne scene in Revelation chapter 4. So what makes our religion re reality? What makes it real? The fact that our God is real. But secondly, may I suggest to you that what makes it real is that eternity is real. You see, Jesus who is real and alive, he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1 and in verse 4. So Jesus, who is real and is alive, said, heaven is real. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, John 14. And if it were not so, I would have told you it's real. Jesus, who is real and alive, Romans 1 and in verse 4, said, hell is real. Mark 9 and in verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. But thirdly, your religion is real if your faith is real. Is your faith real? Well, faith is real if it's based upon real evidence. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Your faith is real if it's based upon real evidence, the Word of God. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 1, which tells us as much or more what faith does than what it is, but it does tell us something of what it is. Faith, the text says, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. What does it mean it's the substance of things hoped for? The New Century Version translates that, that faith is being sure of things we hope for. We're talking about reality and surety. Furthermore, Barclay observes that real faith is being absolutely certain that what we believe is true. Is your faith real? The second phrase is the evidence of things not seen. The new century renders that know that something is real even if we do not see it. And the Englishman's Greek New Testament rendered that faith is that which enables us to treat as real the things that are unseen. Can you treat as real the God of heaven? Can you treat as real the evidence that God exists and that God is real and Jesus was raised from the dead? Is your faith real? What makes your religion real is your faith is real. But let's go even further. What makes your religion real is when your priorities are real. We can stand like Peter, and we'll come to Peter a little bit later, and claim our priorities or what they ought to be, and yet we may cave, perhaps, under pressure. Is it God over family? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 37? He said, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Who do you love the most? Your family? What means more to you, your family or your relationship to God? 
Are you willing to forsake all to follow Christ? Do you remember the calling of the first disciples? When Jesus came and they were fishing and he told them to cast their net on the other side and they did. And the text says when he called them to be his disciples and come be fishers of men, the text says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 22 that immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. They left their father behind. They left their business behind. Luke 5, 11 says they forsook all and followed him. Everything they had, they left behind and they followed him. They had priorities. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and in verse 22 told one who said, I'll come and follow you. Remember that? I'll come and follow you, but first let me go bury my father. Remember that story? I'm not sure, perhaps you are, whether his father had died and he needed to bury him or his father was living and he needed to see to his father and once he's dead and gone, I'll come and follow you. Either one seems to be a noble thing he wanted to do. Jesus didn't think much about it because he said, let the dead bury the dead and come and follow me. Get your priorities right. You might turn with me to a familiar passage in Hebrews 10 and in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling even when persecuted. By the way, we often emphasize not forsaking the assembling. I'm more interested in that phrase, as the manner of some is. It was the practice of some of the Christians to forsake the assembling. And he condemned that in that context. Either we have no clue why they were forsaking. Or he's painted the picture for us beginning at chapter 10 on through chapter 12 where he focuses so much on persecution and historically it's in the context of persecution or we don't have a clue what it's all about. Seemingly it was persecution. As those who were thus assembled as Barnes and Pink say were exposed to greater danger than those who were not. It has to do with priority, doesn't it? Even in the face of persecution. So what makes your religion real? Because the God we serve is real. Because eternity is real. And if our faith is real and our priorities are real, then indeed, then indeed, our religion is real. Now know what makes it real. Here's the second thing. For some, it is real and some it's not. We're going to look at some biblical examples. We'll come to us a little bit later. Let's look at some biblical examples of people who thought their religion was real and it wasn't and some whose religion was real. And let's start with this. Let's talk about those for whom the religion was real. They claimed to believe in God. They said they believed in God and the religion proved to be real. Abraham is an obvious example of that. Well, what about Abraham? Hebrews 11 and in verse 8 says he was told to go to a strange country. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. Notice the end of verse 8. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I want to tell you, that proved his religion was real. God said, Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to go to a country. Where am I going? I'm going to show you where you're going. Have you ever been? No, I've never been there. But you show me where to go. And he did. Proved his religion was real. Would you be willing to do that? 
If God spoke to you directly and said, I want you to go to a country, you've never seen it, you've never been there, you don't know anybody there, your family all is not going, some will go, but not all of your family will go, and you're just going to take off and you're going to go. But that wasn't the last thing. Romans chapter 4, we read of how that God told him you're going to have a son. He's about 100 years old, and Sarah is well past the bearing years. How could this be true? And he believed God and was fully convinced that what he was promised he was also able to perform. But we're still not through with Abraham. He offered his only son Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, the text says. His only begotten son. God said, I want you to slay your son. God had not told him he would raise him from the dead if he killed him, but he assumed that would be the case, but he doesn't know that. All he knows is God told him to slay his son, and he attempts to do that very thing. I want to tell you, there's a case where man's religion was real. Would you do that? Is my faith strong enough that I would say, I'll do that because that's what God told me to do. That's where the rubber meets the road. We find out reality now. For Abraham, it was real. But Abraham wasn't the last one. There was Ezra, for example, whose religion was real. Go with me to Ezra chapter 8 and in verse 22. In Ezra 8 and verse 22, what he had been claiming and telling the king, God's with us. And God will protect us. And God will bless those that serve him and he will be against those that don't. So notice Ezra chapter 8 and verse 22. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road. I was embarrassed to go to the king and ask, could you give us some protection, some soldiers and an army to go along with us to protect us? Ezra, why were you ashamed? Because I had spoken thus to the king, saying, the hand of God is upon those for good who seek him, and his power and his wrath is against those who forsake him. So you know what Ezra did? He stuck to his claim. He showed his religion was real. Remember the faith healer a moment ago? If Ezra goes running and said, please give us a king, please give us a, an army. We've got to have an army. We're scared to death. You know what that tells me? He doesn't believe what he said. His religion isn't real. He stuck to his claim. Here's another. Jeremiah. What a great prophet Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah had been prophesying and saying, in 70 years we're coming back. Going to go into captivity? Yes, it's bad, it's terrible. But in 70 years, Jeremiah 25, 11, you're coming back. Jeremiah, do you really believe that? Do you really think, are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? You know what he did? Jeremiah 32, he bought a field as proof that he thought they were coming back. I'm willing to buy this field. We're coming back to this land. Prove to be real. Go with me this time to Daniel chapter 3, if you will. Daniel's three friends. You remember them. From an early age, we learned the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice in chapter 3 and in verse 5, the text says that they were told by the authorities to bow before the image of gold. A lot of pressure is put on. But we go further at verse 12, and the report was that some are not complying with your request, king. So the report was there are certain Jews that you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be specific. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you and do not serve your God and worship the golden image that you set up. Somebody's watching and somebody's reporting. And they said, these guys aren't doing what you told them. 
Sounds familiar. More pressure is put on. Look at verse 15. 15. More pressure is put on because he said, okay, when, when the time is ready, when you hear the sound of the flute and the harp and the lyre and the psaltery and, the, and all in symphony, when you hear the music, fall down and worship the image. But if you don't, I'll cast you in the fiery furnace. Here is a threat if you don't comply. Look at verse 17 and 18. Their faith proved to be real because they said, if that's the case, our God will deliver us. If that's the case, our God, whom you're going to cast us in the furnace, our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us from your hand too. But, but, look at verse 18. But if not, if God doesn't deliver us, let it be known to your, uh, let it be known to you, our king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image that you set up. Our faith is real. Let's go a little bit later than even New Testament times. Polycarp. He was a man who was a follower of John, the apostle, who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. By being a disciple, I don't mean he just knew of him, he was a close, intimate friend of John, spent time with John. He was a disciple of John. It is thought by some that perhaps he was at Smyrna, he was from Smyrna, that he could have even been in the group when the letter was written in Revelation chapter 2 that included that phrase, be thou faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. Not to the point of death, but even if you have to die for the cause. He perhaps was in the audience when that was read. Here was a man who refused to bow to the pressure, whose faith was real. Let me tell you a little about Polycarp. He lived from 70 to 155 A.D. He was martyred, though, on Saturday, February the 23rd, 155. Under the reign of Domitian, he was charged to bow down before Caesar and renounce the Christ. And here's what he said. Four score and sixty years I have served him, and I've never, he's never done me injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He's saying my faith is real. But they put him to the test. They threatened him with fire. And he said, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire that is coming of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment. Reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. If you're going to burn me at the stake, go ahead and burn me at the stake. You know what they did? They burned him at the stake alive. For Polycarp, it came to a point that he had to say this thing of religion is real. This is real. They're asking me to do something my faith won't allow, and I can't, I can't do that. And if they burn me, they just burn me. So go ahead. Polycarp was saying his faith was real. Now let's flip the coin over and look at the other side. For some, it's not. Who on the surface looks like their faith is deep? Who on the surface looks like there is reality? Case in point, the rich young ruler. I'm impressed with him at first, aren't you? So let's erase the board here and let's just picture we don't know anything about him. And we're standing off to the side when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and we're quite impressed with him. Because in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, the parallel account, says he came running to Jesus. He didn't meander up to Jesus, happened to be there. He come running eagerly to Jesus. Oh, he wants to see Jesus about something. 
I'm impressed. Furthermore, he showed interest in spiritual things. What good things shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? He's interested in the spiritual. I'm impressed. Aren't you? He seems to want to go to heaven. He wants to know what to do to inherit eternal life, he said. I'm not just interested in having a religion. I want to go to heaven is what he's saying. Oh, I'm impressed with this young man. Look at verses 17 to 20. When Jesus told him to keep the commandments, he said, which ones? And Jesus enumerated several. And I'm even more impressed when he said, I've done all of these from my youth up. And so I'm also impressed with the fact that he's been faithful and consistent. He didn't say I've kept most of those, but he said I've done all of those from my youth up. He was well raised, well reared, I'm impressed with this man. His faith seems to be real. But when he was told, there's one thing though that you lack, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, he went away sorrowful. He just told us his faith was not real. Because it wasn't convenient for him. Could that be me? I'm good over here on this point. I'm good on that point. I'm strong on that point. But when push comes to shove... I can't do it. Let me give you another example. The disciples themselves in Luke chapter 8. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. The disciples must have thought by this point in Luke chapter 8 to themselves to be great people of faith. They must have thought they had a degree in faith as one writer would suggest. Evidence that they might have thought that, or at least they could have thought that, the opportunities they had. Well, let's back it up at least in thought, if you don't want to go back to Luke 6. We're in Luke chapter 8. They had heard his teaching. They were there in the Sermon on the Mount. They had seen his miracles in Luke chapter 7, and they listened to his parables in Luke chapter 8, and that's just the beginning of the list. They must have thought they had graduated with a degree in faith. But I want you to notice verse 23 and 24. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. As they're out on the sea with Jesus, and a storm came up on the lake, and it filled, the boat began to fill with water. They were in jeopardy, and they woke the master, saying, Master, we are perishing. They thought they were going to die. Look at verse 25. Jesus asked them this question, Where is your faith? Where's your faith? just caved under pressure. Well, let me give you one, another example along that line. Peter, for example, Matthew chapter 26. He made great claims. You remember this beginning at verse 32 when Jesus said, all of you be made to stumble because of me. Remember Peter's reaction? He didn't just say, I'm not sure that I would. <laughs> I kind of think I'm stronger than that. Oh, he was very bold, wasn't he? Remember he said he would never stumble? Remember he added to that that he would not deny the Lord when the Lord said, you'll even deny me. Not only will you stumble, you'll deny me. No, I will never deny you. He went even a step further to say this. He said, I'll even die for you is what I'll do. Claims are easy, aren't they? Peter is saying, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll never deny you. I'll stand with you by your side. None of that's going to happen. But I want you to know that he caved under pressure. That very night, that very same night that he said, I will even die for you. When Jesus was arrested, he followed at a distance. What happened to him? 
What happened to this? I'll die for you. What happened to this? I'll never stumble. And when asked, are you one of his disciples? He denied it three times. And what he proved was at that moment, it wasn't real. Let's move to a third point now. What makes it real? For some it's real and some it's not. Your reality of your faith and your religion is going to be tested. My religion is going to be tested. So let's talk about the fact that reality will be tested. And let's start with this. Your faith, our faith, my faith, every one of us will have our faith tested. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 6. Faith at some point is going to be tested. Just like it was with Peter. Just like it was with the disciples. Just like it was with the rich young ruler. Just like it was with Abraham. Just like it was with Ezra. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. In this we greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be that you are grieved by various trials, that the genuineness, the reality, that's what we're talking about, of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Is your faith real? Is your faith genuine? Is your religion real? It's going to be tested by fire. When you put it through the fire, the trials, that's when you find out what it's made of. Just like putting gold through the fire. You can have something that looks like gold and you say, this is real. But you put it through the fire, come to find out it wasn't real. Or maybe it was real. The same thing is true of our faith. It's going to be put to the test. And I want to suggest to you that quite often there is a conflict with what I want to do and what I know to be right. What's Matthew 26 about? The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And that's true of all of us. There are going to be times, that's what temptation is called. When there's a conflict, here's what I want to do, but here's what I know to be right. And when that conflict comes, that's when there is a test. Is it real or not? Now may I suggest to you that there are going to be situations and circumstances that we must realize. Concerning our religion, this is real. This is real. What do I mean by that? We're going to have to ask, what do I do now? You see, it's one thing to say, I believe in Christ. I believe, I'm, I'm, I, I'll, I'll stay with him to the end. Die for him if I have to. I'll stand for what's right. That's easy for any one of us, self-included. But when pressure's on and decisions to be made... We may come to the point we have to ask, what do I do now? And will our actions match our faith? It didn't with Peter. And will we do what we claim? It didn't with the rich young ruler. We're going to have hard choices we have to make in life. There are going to be some tough decisions. And what we're trying to say is this is not theory, this is not thought. This is not mere belief. This is reality. So let's talk about some of those. Here's some conflicts you may have. Where does the rubber meet the road? There may be times there is a conflict between God and family. I'll take it real. Get real. This is where religion gets real. 
It's one thing to talk when your family's what it ought to be and everything's going well and there isn't a conflict between God and family. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm glad to stand, but when there's a conflict between God and family, that's when religion gets real. You see, God may say this, and he does say this. God may say, stay in the family, stay in the marriage. You know what Matthew 19, 3 to 6, when there, Jesus was asked, can you put away your mate for any cause? And the answer was no. God may be telling you, you've got to stay in this marriage. Dwell with them according to understanding, 1 Peter 3. But you want out. And you want to end it and you want to walk away. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where reality sits in. This religion thing's real now. Now religion is real, isn't it? Tough decision. It might be that you're in an unscriptural relationship and God says, leave. You've got to get out of it, Ezra 10. But you want to stay. This is where religion gets real. It's not theory anymore. It's not just something you're thinking about. This is reality. This is where religion gets real. God may say to the woman to submit to the leadership of her husband, Ephesians chapter 5, but she doesn't want to. She doesn't like his leading. He doesn't like the direction he's going. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is real now. You may be given the alternative of you can either have a family relationship or you can have your relationship to God and you can't have both. And some of you sitting here have been put in that predicament. I want to tell you, you understand what I'm talking about. You can have a relationship with family or you can have a relationship with God, but you can't have both. That's where religion gets real. It may be a circumstance where you've been wronged and the offender asks for forgiveness. Someone's done you wrong. You've been lied about. You've been, you, your character's been assassinated. You've been damaged beyond repair. And the offender comes and says, I'm sorry, I ask you to forgive me. And what God says is to forgive, Matthew 18. In fact, God says forgive multiple times. And you don't want to, though. You want to hold on to that. This is real. This is where religion gets real. And you say, I've got to do what God says. There may be a conflict with worship. And God says not to forsake the assembling. We've talked about that already in its context. But there may be a conflict caused by sports. Or it may be caused by an offer for overtime. I can make some extra money. Or maybe friends or family that came in and they didn't really want to go to worship with us, so we stay and entertain them instead of worshiping. We have that opportunity. Or it may be a conflict caused by worry. This is where religion gets real. There's a conflict. What do I do? And we've got to stop and realize, you know what, this, this religion stuff is real. This is real. We're not in a fog. We're not in a dream. This is real. It's been a conflict. There may be a situation where you won't need to do what you've been promised or what you have promised to do. James 5 says in verse 12, let your yea be yea and your nay nay. What does that mean? Do what you promise. Be a person of your word. 
So what God says is, if you made a promise and you do what you promised, your word ought to mean something. But it may be that you've made a promise and you've given your word, but you'd rather not do what you promised. You kind of like to weasel out of that. This is where religion gets real. You don't just back away and say, I'm not going to do that because I, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to, I, I promised, but I'm not going to do that. Your religion needs to be real. You gave your word. It may be that you need to take an uncomfortable stand. What do you mean by that? Do you remember the case in Galatians 2 that was hard for Peter and Barnabas? Remember their stand they had taken? They had previously, prior to Galatians 2, prior to that, they both had taken the stand that Gentiles are gospel subjects and we can associate with Gentiles. They knew that. But now they're in a circumstance where there's some Jews come in who don't really feel good about that, so they pull away. That is, Peter and Barnabas pull away from the Gentiles, and they don't want to associate with Gentiles because that would be an uncomfortable stand in the side of the Jews. It may be there's a stand that you know is right. I know where it's, what's right, and I know where I need to stand, but I don't want the pressure that goes with it. I want to tell you, this is where religion gets real. This is where religion gets real. It may be that we need to learn to accept that someone I know and I love is going to be lost. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus said he would bring division among men, even among family members. Now I ask you the question, are you having a hard time admitting what you know the Bible to teach concerning someone you know and someone you love? This is where religion gets real. We can talk about obedience to the gospel is necessary, and I did that, but here's someone who hasn't and it is not conforming to that, but I'm not willing to admit they're in a lost condition. This is where religion gets real. I may not live to see the day that we have persecution like first century disciples. I'm not sure my children will live to see that, and I'm not sure about my grandchildren, but I'm wondering beyond that. There may come a time when persecution sets in severely. I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole list, but this is some, some list mainly from Acts and a little bit from Hebrews of what the early disciples experienced that's called persecution. They were arrested multiple times. They were threatened in Acts chapter 4. There was interference in keep, keeping the commandments of God. Don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. That's government interference with doing the commands of God, by the way. They were beaten in Acts chapter 5, stoned to death in Acts chapter 7. There was an attempt to kill in Acts chapter 9. James was killed in Acts chapter 12. There were those that were stoned and left for dead like Paul in Acts chapter 14. They attacked the house of, Steve, uh, of uh, Jason, you remember, in Acts 17. Their homes were ransacked. They confiscated their goods because they were Christians. I want to tell you, when persecution sets in, that's where the rubber meets the road, and we have to stop and realize, you know what, this religion thing is real. And let me ask you, what would you do if you were to be arrested for your faith? Or you were threatened for your faith, or you find yourself staring at the wrong end of the barrel of a gun. What would you do? 
We haven't seen that in this country, but there are places where that's going on now. The first century disciples faced that. It might not have been a gun, it was a sword. But this religion thing becomes real when they threaten us and they say, we're going to arrest you if you continue to preach and teach what you're preaching and teaching and you continue to worship and you continue to say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And you may find yourself staring down at the wrong end of a barrel of a gun. What are you going to do? That's when religion gets real. And what if they tell you, you can't tell anybody about Christ? You've got to quit this teaching thing. This thing of telling your neighbor, to inviting them to church, that's against the law. Catch you doing that again, we'll arrest you. And what if you're told not to assemble because there are places in this world where Christians have to meet in secret because they're, they're forbidden to assemble? And what if the government tells us that we have to accept homosexuality and so when someone wants to come and continue the homosexuality and we've got to accept them as members or we're going to face some severe punishment as a church, including you, what are we going to do? This is where religion gets real. It might be a crisis that we're facing. It might be the present crisis we're in. Or any in the future, and there will be more, rest assured. And when the crisis sets in, what do we do? Do we cast the principles of authority out, at least ignore them? There are many places where that's been done among brethren. With no regard to authority, let's do whatever we want to do, and it, because this is a crisis, this is a present distress, as we've talked about recently. Authority's going out the window. And the question has to be raised, are there still divine instructions that have to be followed during a crisis, for example? Do we still have to follow those divine instructions? This is where religion gets real. It gets real. You see, what's easy for us to do is to lose focus. Let's notice a couple more passages in the lesson will be yours. In persecution... Well, all who live godly suffer persecution, but we've never faced what they faced. But we might. In the midst of a crisis, family conflict, conflict with work, whatever the case may be, where your faith is put to the test, it's easy to lose focus. What do we mean lose focus? Well, it's like running a race. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 compares living the Christian life to running a race. By the way, by the way. Don't forget, that was written in the context of persecution. It wasn't easy for them. You say, where's the persecution? That's in verse 1. Drop down to verse 6. The chastening of the Lord is a suffering peculiar to those who are God's people, verse 6. So in the context of conflict, difficulty, he compares living the Christian life to running a race. Now picture running track and field and you're running. And in the midst of your running, you kind of get sidetracked. And you begin to notice people in the stands or people on the side of the street or wherever it is that you're running. And you begin to engage with something other than your focal point of running your race and making it to the end. You're sidetracked. And you may quit your race. You may wander off or you may slow down. And you're not going to win because you're not running your race. Your focus needs to be on your goal. I'm running this race. 
Someone wants to talk to you while you run. But that's not my point. My focus is I'm headed toward the goal. You may have feelings that you want to quit. But your focus is on the goal. And our goal and our focus should always be and always has been to focus on fearing God and serving Him whatever it may take. That's our goal. And there may be something over here that sidetracks me and I'm not focused on my goal. Here's something else I engage in and I'm not focused on my goal. Here's something else calls for my attention and pulls me away and distracts me from my goal. It's easy to lose our focus. I want to tell you that religion is real. Peter had an experience in Acts chapter 12 where he wasn't sure about it being real. And finally he came to himself and he got fully awake and he understood, you know what, this is real. This is real. What makes it real? God is real, eternity is real. If your faith is real and your priorities are real, your religion is real. For some it's not real. For others it was. In both the Old and New Testaments. But your reality has been and it will be tested again and again and again. There may be one or more present this morning who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?